Again, we're in lesson number 42, and uh, it was, it's been a week uh, because, uh, again, I wasn't here last uh, Wednesday evening uh, to continue our study, so we're just taking off from where we left off uh, last Sunday morning. And if you recall, we, we looked at the lesson where Jesus uh, ate with um, the Pharisees and scribes referred to as the sinners. Uh, remember, Matthew hosted a dinner party. Again, Matthew... Uh, or as what we referred to as Levi in the book of Luke, referred to him as Levi. Uh, he gives a, a, a big luncheon or a big a dinner party uh, with some of his uh, uh, friends. And of course, um, he could do that because he was a tax collector. You know, he was somebody of, of wealth and means. He would have had um, you know, a decent amount of money to be able to spend on uh, doing a dinner party like that. And uh, he's, Jesus is there eating with them, and this again gets the attention of the scribes and the Pharisees. You know, they're wondering why Jesus, Jesus is eating with you know, this class of people. You know, again, the, the Pharisees are you know, the, they're the religious elite of the day. They put themselves on a pedestal that they're, you know, they're better than everyone. Uh, and so uh, they, they see Jesus eating with the, the sinners, and so... Um, you know, Jesus, again, he, he gives that great line. He says, uh, it's not those who are well who need a physician, but it's those who are sick. Right? He, did not, he did not come to call the righteous, but he came to call uh, the sinners. And so that's why we, we noticed Jesus was there. Um, he was eating with them. And then, but really the main point or the main story that we looked at last Sunday was this question that uh, the disciples of the Pharisees and the disciples of John had for Jesus, uh, which was, you know, why aren't your disciples fasting? Uh, that, again, fasting was something that uh, was never really commanded in the Old Testament except for on one day, uh, on the Day of Atonement, that day where the high priest went into the Holy of Holies and offered uh, that sacrifice on behalf of himself and for all the people of Israel. But other than that, uh, fasting was never uh, authorized or required, but the, the Jews uh, during t- or over time were implementing uh, the practice of fasting uh, throughout uh, different days. You know, there were, there were some uh, holidays, uh, if you will, holidays that they chose to fast, and so that sort of became a tradition year after year, and so... Uh, again, the Pharisees were great at taking their traditions and making them, binding them as law. And that's, you know, one of the way, one of the things that Jesus has to deal with during his ministry is getting them to understand that their man-made traditions um, are, don't have any authority uh, over God's word. And so, you know, again, the Pharisees, they said, you know, they fasted twice a week. You know, again, we're, we're very religious. We fast twice a week. And so why aren't your disciples fasting? And so Jesus gave him those three explanations. Remember, the first one he said is that, you know, while the bridegroom is still here, uh, there's no need for them to fast. You know, Jesus was there in their midst. There was no need for them to mourn or sorrow uh, because Jesus was in their midst. He, he told them the second time uh, that, you know, when you, t- when you have a new um, or you have an old garment and maybe it has a hole in it, you don't go and get a new piece of cloth and put it on the garment because uh, number one, it's going to stretch it out. And number two, it's not going to match. And, and then the third parable that he gave was uh, the, the putting new wine into old wineskins. Uh, you don't put new wine, uh, fresh grape juice into old wineskins because 
Uh, as it starts to expand over time, it's going to burst those wineskins. And so Jesus gave those parables uh, to the people. Uh, they, uh, you know, obviously parables were meant to teach a, a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so we, we talked about how, you know, the point Jesus was trying to make was uh, taking their old traditions, uh, such as fasting, and trying to bind them uh, on the people that day or in the new law that Jesus is bringing. You know, you, you just can't do that. You can't take an, uh, an old T-shirt and put a new cloth or a new piece of fabric on it. Again, because it's going to stretch it out. It's not going to make sense. It's not going to match. And so, um, and we also just, we sort of touched on uh, the fact that when we were going through that lesson, you know, we noticed that, you know, Jesus changes things, right? He, he, he changed who had the opportunity to follow God. Again, it wasn't the Pharisees, but he, you know, he ate with uh, those people in that society that the Pharisees looked down on, right? The, the, the tax collectors, the publicans, the, uh, the sinners. And so uh, Jesus uh, met with them. Uh, Jesus changes how one should look at the lost. Again, um, you know, his emphasis was not coming to call the righteous, uh, but it was to call the sinners. What kind of outlook a follower can have? And again, where people should turn to the truth. Again, not uh, the old law, but now as Jesus is coming, as he's teaching his, uh, his, uh, his, his new teaching, uh, especially you know, when we looked at the Sermon on the Mount uh, and what's coming, uh, the kingdom of heaven and how it's at hand, uh, they need to turn to that truth. And so uh, that was last week. As we continue on, we're going to uh, jump into some more accounts. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5 this morning. Or we'll start in Mark chapter 5, uh, starting in verse uh, 22. And we're really going to, hopefully we'll have the chance to look at three uh, different accounts here in Mark. And also, in, in, and then we'll flip over into Matthew. And uh, there's going to be sort of one really emphasis that we're going to see in all three of these uh, accounts. Jesus is going to... Um, He's going to heal. He's going to raise from the dead. He's going to cast out a demon-possessed uh, individual. And we're going to notice really what the, the theme is behind all three of these. So let's look at Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 22. And we'll just go ahead and read uh, from 22 all the way to the end of this chapter. So one of the synagogue officials named Jarius came up and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went out with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, 
Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what had been spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. And he followed no one to accompany Excuse me. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him, but uh, putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Tiliatha come, which translated means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given to her to eat. So... This is a truly, truly uh, remarkable story. Really, this is, you're getting uh, two for the price of one. Right? Uh, the, uh, we, we meet Jarius, this man who is a ruler of the synagogue. Um, you know, he's sort of, uh, sort, of, sort of a notch down from the, the Pharisees and scribes. Uh, he was a ruler of the synagogue. He was the guy who would kind of oversee you know, the, the temple worship. You know, he was the guy who said, okay, you're going to do this today and you're going to do that today. You're going to lead, uh, you know, you're going to lead the scripture reading. You know, that sort of was his role here as the, this elder in, in, this, in the temple. And so his daughter is dying, right? And so he, he, he goes to Jesus. He falls at his feet. He implores Jesus to heal his daughter. Uh, we're told that she's 12 years old. She's at the point of death. And so immediately, Jesus, having concern for the child, he heads with Jarius, and they, and they head towards uh, his house. But of course, uh, is it, was it an easy thing for him to get there, or was there uh, quite a big crowd around? Yeah, there, there was quite a bit of, of a crowd here. You know, Jesus is going to have to push through this crowd to get to the house. Uh, they're going to sort of delay Jesus's. Uh, mission to get to the house, and this crowd's really going to play an important role because uh, this is often referred to as the parenthetical uh, miracle, the parenthetical miracle because it's a miracle within a miracle. You know, we, start, we first start with Jarius, we're going to end with Jarius, but there's uh, this another miracle that happens right in the middle of the story, and it's of this woman uh, that we read, my translation says she had a discharge of blood, or excuse me, a hemorrhage, but other translations might have said uh, the problem was the flow of blood or a discharge of blood. But you really, really feel sorry for this woman when you read uh, of this account. Again, how long did the scripture say she was dealing with this? Twelve years. Twelve years, right. That's, it's kind of coincidental that the girl was 12 years old and she had been dealing with this for 12 years. I don't think there's any connection to the two, but uh, she had been dealing with this problem for 12 years. And this was a big deal for her. Right? Why, do you think, uh, this, why do you think this would have been a big deal for her, especially in this culture, in, in this time period? What sort of problems would she have? Okay, yeah, that's one of the first ones we can think of is uh, she would have been considered a social outcast, right? Because, because of the blood, she would have been unclean. Uh, she would have been ceremonially unclean. Uh, 
to go along with that is that, you know, she would have had spiritual problems as well because she wouldn't be allowed in the temple to worship. And so uh, th those are a couple of the main problems. What happens when we lose a, l a little blood? We can get weak, can't we? You know, this affected her physically as well uh, for 12 years. You know, maybe uh, it, was, it was tough for her, uh, you know, to get around and to do things because she was constantly uh, having to deal with this. What did it say there? Oh, I lost, lost the verse. But what did it say about um, what she did? Uh, verse 26. She spent all that she had. You know, what does that tell you? She had financial problems too, didn't she? She spent all that she had trying to cure this problem. And then uh, on top of that, verse 26 also says that she, it was, she was not helped at all, but rather it had grown worse. Right? Here's another problem on top of that. Emotional problems, emotional stress. Uh, nothing's working. Nothing's taking this away. And so here she is in this great crowd of people. Jesus is coming through. Uh, obviously, uh, she knows a little something about Jesus, right? And she hears, and verse 27 told us that she, uh, she, simply, she simply wanted just to touch the hem of his garment. You know, if I could just touch his garment, I will get well. Right? What, is, what is that called? Faith, faith right? That, that's faith. If I could just simply touch the hem of his garments, she said she knew that she would get well. And again, we could just imagine all the things that she had been going through those past 12 years. And so uh, she goes, verse 29, from, um, from this chronic problem to being uh, fully healed. And, you know, this is one of those great characteristics of the miracles uh, of Jesus is that, you know, this wasn't something that, you know, um, we, that somebody could point to and say, well, you know, maybe it just went away. Or maybe she uh, finally found that cure. But uh, verse 29 tells us immediately the flow of her blood was dried up. You know, we see that over and over again with Jesus' miracles. Uh, that word immediately. You know, immediately it, it stopped. And so, um, again, this was not a mere uh, healing. But despite her efforts not to disturb Jesus, you know... Uh, verse 30, he, he turns around and says, who touched me? And I love the, the reaction to uh, the, the, the disciples in verse 31. He says, you see all these people crowding around, to you, around you and you're asking who touched you? You know, that's uh, an impossible uh, question to ask, right? Uh, who touched me? Everyone's probably touching you because they're, they're crowded around you. But uh, the woman uh, fearing and trembling, aware of what had just happened. Verse 33, came and fell down before him and told him uh, the whole truth there. Uh, she came confessing. And again, she, he confirmed her faith and reassured her of her healing. Verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So uh, because of her faith, and belief, you know, belief and faith are really words that the Bible uses interchangeably. Um, and so because of her belief in what Jesus could do, her faith made her well. And so uh, we see this woman is healed. But now, now, as we move uh, back into verse 35, 
to, to the other side of this parenthetical, this parenthetical miracle, uh, we still got to deal with Jarius' daughter. What do you think Jarius is going through right now? Is he probably wishing Jesus would uh, keep moving, keep moving along? Right. He see, he's, he's seeing Jesus stop here talking to this woman. And maybe he knows what's going on. Maybe he doesn't. But he's probably, you know, let's get going. You know, let's go. Let's get to my house. Uh, he did, probably didn't want him to stop and help. And, you know, maybe this is a, pay, a lesson in uh, being patient. You know, uh, maybe that's something that he could learn. But he, was, he had his daughter on his mind. And, uh, and then we get to verse 36. And uh, Jesus overhearing what had been, well, back up to verse 35, it was told of Jarius that your daughter had died. Again, why trouble the teacher anymore? And Jesus, in verse 36, again, says, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And so there's that word again uh, that we are seeing in all of these different miracles. Only believe, have faith. And so he goes to the home. Uh, we notice that he uh, selects, uh, you know, his... His, um, you know, he's got 12 apostles, right? But there are certain times in Scripture, such as in this time and the Transfiguration and also in the Garden of Gethsemane where he sort of selects uh, three of them. Uh, we sometimes refer to this as Jesus' inner circle. Uh, maybe maybe uh, you know, another way of saying it is these are his best friends. You know, these are the disciples that uh, he chose, his best friends, uh, James and John and Peter. And so the three of them, uh, the mother and father, they go into the little girl's room, and Jesus uh, again says, you know, why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep, and he commands her to get up, and she does that. And again, uh, we see belief playing a major role in this account. So, um, let's move to Matthew uh, chapter 9. Again, um, these are accounts that Mark doesn't necessarily record for us, so uh, we need to go to Matthew chapter 9, uh, starting in verse 27, just to read uh, two more short ones uh, here, two more um, miracles of Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 27, and we'll look at the first one here uh, through uh, verse 31. So as, uh, as Jesus went out from there, uh, meaning Jairus' home. As Jesus went out from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all of the land. So we've got these two blind men, right? and they refer to Jesus as the son of David. What does that uh, imply? Yeah, they understand that, you know, being... Uh, you know, they're, they're looking for the son of David. They're looking for the Messiah. They know that he's going to come from the, you know, David's lineage. And so by them referring to him as the son of David, you know, they're, they're, in, they're recognizing him as the Christ. And so 
uh, they, re- they are requesting a hymn. Again, uh, probably, of course, they're blind. And, and so, obviously, they aren't able to view those miracles. But they obviously have heard of Jesus and what he can do. And so, Jesus uh, there again says in uh, verse, well, in verse uh, 28, uh, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And again, they confirm yes. And so, again, there is that word belief again uh, in this third miracle. Um, let's look at this, this last one really quickly, verses 32 through 34. And as they were going out, a mute, demon-possessed man was brought to him. After the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed and were saying, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying he cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. So whose, whose faith is in action in, in this account? Is it the demon-possessed man? Verse 32, and they were going out and a, a mute demon-possessed man was brought to him after the demon was cast out. Yeah, there were some people who brought this man to Jesus, right? They uh, knew how uh, Jesus could cast out uh, the, these, demon, these demons from people. And so they had the faith. That they believed that Jesus could do that. And so they brought this man to him. Jesus cast him out. And now the mute man uh, spoke. Uh, you know, we see this a lot of times with uh, demon possession in, in Scripture. Is that, you know, the people uh, may be unable to speak or to hear or... Um, you know, there was some sort of physical ailment that they had. Uh, you know, there was the one who tried to, you know, cast the person into the fire from time to time. And so uh, a lot of times we see that, uh, that something um, was um, being obstruction, obstructed, but Jesus casts him out. And after he was cast out, he was able to speak again. And the crowds were amazed. Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel uh, but then you got the Pharisees again, and they are not attributing uh, this to Jesus or to God. But again, uh, you know, the, this must be, uh, he must be doing these things by the power of Satan. And we've sort of talked about that a few weeks ago in that lesson. But again, you know, we see belief in action here uh, because uh, these people brought the man to Jesus to be healed. You know, the, there's a, the other... Um, the other account, we recall that one probably the greatest when Jesus is lowered through the, the roof of the house. And how we notice, again, the friends of Jesus uh, and their faith in Jesus. And they are doing everything they could to get, Je- or get their friend to Jesus. And so uh, that's very similar. But again, the key word here is belief, is faith. We see it in all four of these accounts. Uh, Jarius, when told his daughter was dead, was told only to believe. Uh, the woman with the hemorrhage, she believed. You know, she had faith as much to fight through a crowd and to touch only the hem of his garment. The two blind men believed. Uh, they believed, uh, again, that he was the son of David. And, uh, and even the ones, again, who brought uh, the, the demoniac to Jesus believed. But again, the Pharisees, they refused to believe. And that's just, you know, that's that constant theme that we see throughout the ministry of Jesus. Now, what about belief? What about faith? You know, is, 
Is that an action word? All right. We see that over and over in the scriptures, that belief is an action word. It's, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is probably uh, the greatest chapter in the Bible when you talk about that because uh, the Hebrews writer goes and talks about uh, all of these different Old Testament individuals like Abraham and Noah and Moses. And, you know, he goes on uh, and says by, for each one of them, by faith, you know, they did this and they did that and they did this. Look at a passage with me in John chapter 6, verse 29. Let's see if you've ever maybe picked, on, picked up this before. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 29 you know, Jesus is he's speaking uh, to the people here, and he says something that, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, after he fed the 5,000, in John chapter 6, verse 29, uh, he, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You know, Jesus just said there in that verse that belief, believing, you know, having faith is a work. You know, it's, it's doing something. It's action. You know, a lot of times, again, uh, we know in, in the, the world of um, Christendom uh, in Christianity that a lot of people will say that belief is just a, a mental ascent. You know, that you just believe that, uh, you know, Jesus is Lord. Uh, just say this prayer and uh, you're going to be okay. You know, just... just but, you know, again, in this verse here, in John chapter 6, verse 29, you know, Jesus said that believing is the work of God. It's action. By faith. Because I believe, I do this. I do that. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. So faith, belief, is a... Uh, instrumental uh, piece of you know of the puzzle of the of the of the big picture here. Um, so here's a simple question, uh, you know, from the lessons that we looked at this morning: uh, Do we believe in Jesus? You know, do we believe uh, in His ability to save and comfort? Do we believe in His ability to heal and strengthen? Do we believe in His ability to provide wisdom and give joy? And if we don't, then we should ask ourselves, why not? You know, some people will say today, well, if I could only, you know, if I could only see a miracle like they did in the first century, then I would believe. If I could only see what they saw, then I would believe. Or, you know, maybe we'll say, Lord, if you, you know, if you just grant me this, this one thing, if you just grant me this one thing, then I'll believe. You know, and so we, we see that we see a lot of people um, talk like that, believe and trust like that. But why do we believe today? Again, back then in the first century, when we're reading about it here in the scriptures, uh, the people believed uh, because they saw they saw things with their own eyes. They saw the healings that Jesus did, the, the casting out of demons, the, the raising of the dead. They saw those miracles. Uh, people probably passed those miracles on uh, to other people and told them uh, about uh, Jesus and what he could do. But what about today? Right? Uh, miracles, we understand, have ceased in the first century. Uh, 
you know, demon possession has ceased, all those things. So why or how do you and I believe today? Okay, his word, right. Uh, you know, really, there, there's kind of two buckets. Right? Uh, the first bucket is, um, you know, what I'll call a revelation, that uh, Jesus, or that God has revealed himself uh, to us uh, by, you know, creation, by what we see around us. Uh, remember what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 20? He said, uh, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. You know, and the psalmist said something very similar. You know, you can go outside and you can look up at the stars and the sky and you can know that, you know, this was designed, that this was created, that there's order, right? And so God says there uh, through Paul in Romans chapter 1 that you can just look and see that God exists, right? His invisible attributes. You can see those things in how the world works, uh, you know, and we could go, we could dive into you know, again, all of the different apologetics things that we talked about, um, you know, last fall when we dove into apologetics about, you know, how exactly close the earth is to the sun and how that's just the perfect ratio and um, how the earth's axis is tilted, the, the perfect, you know, again, ratio, you know, all of these different apologetics that just point that this world had to have been created by an intelligent designer. Right, so that's one bucket. That's one way that we know that God exists. But the other way, as I think someone mentioned, was his word, right? Scripture. And we'll call that special revelation, right? Because God uh, revealed that to us through his word. All scripture is inspired by God. And someone may say, well, um, you know, okay, you know, you, you, say, you believe this is real. But, but why do you believe this is real? Why do you believe this is from God? How do you know man didn't write this? How do you know that it hasn't been corrupted over the years? And so uh, as we maybe hearken back to that study we did, uh, again, on apologetics and thinking about, you know, the scriptures, you know, well, then we would point to uh, different aspects. Can anyone remember any of those different aspects of the Bible as to, you know, how we could tell others that, you know, this is from God, that truly man could not have written this? Yeah. Yeah, that's the, probably the biggest one is the predictive prophecies that you read about in the Old Testament that come to fruition in the New Testament. I mean, how did people 708, how did Isaiah seven? 150 years before Jesus uh, came to this earth, you know, describe his life in such detail as he did. So again, predictive prophecy is one of those reasons why we believe uh, in, in the Bible. Uh, the scientific accuracy and foreknowledge uh, that we read about uh, within Scripture. You know, uh, there were reasons why uh, Moses told the people that when you had leprosy that, you know, or if somebody had leprosy, when you walked past them, you know, you, you covered your uh, mouth and you, you know, pointed at them and said, unclean, unclean, right? Because uh, he was writing about germs. Uh, they had no notion of germs. Uh, we had no notion of germs really until, what, uh, 1850s, 1900s, something like that? 
uh, within, I mean, probably even uh, earlier than that. Uh, but all the way back there, uh, when, when Moses was writing, you know, the, the scientific accuracy that we read about in Scripture. And then, all, and then also the overall factual accuracy, you know. Um, archaeology is still, still digging up things that are proving uh, the Scriptures to be true. You know, there, there are um, nations of people at one time, the Hittite nation, that uh, recorded in the Old Testament that... For a long time, people kept pointing to that as, well, there's, a, there's an error in Scripture because the, we can't find any record of the Hittites. But then eventually, you know, they unearthed it, and now people can't point to that anymore because, again, the, it's just complete accuracy uh, we have there in Scripture. And so, again, belief, right? Belief, having faith, uh, those were those major parts and those, those uh, four different uh, miracles that we read about in the life of Jesus and uh, again, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so we are going to continue our study. Well, I guess we're going to have to take another Wednesday off because VBS uh, is, starts Wednesday evening. And so we'll be uh, switching to Noah and the Ark. And so when we meet back next Sunday morning, we'll pick up in Lesson 43, uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 31, where Jesus is rejected at Nazareth. So I look forward to uh, studying that with you. And let's go ahead and close class with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you at this time.